neurodivergency. We. Everyone, this is episode 148. I believe so. Of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Land. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how's it going? How was your weekend? It's going well. Um, what did I do this weekend? I sat around. <laughs> uh, that sounds nice. For a little bit. Yeah. And then I reorganized my storagey area. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, today, uh, before we came here, I went and decorated the service department at I, my work. I saw a video of it. It looks nice. Made everything look all cutesy and Christmassy. And festive. It's festive. Figured uh, they have this office decorating competition where we're competing for hockey tickets, I think, for like a Bulldogs game. Okay. And I don't care about... <laughs> hot like about going to a game but you care about winning it's not even so much that it's just if the rest of if everybody else is going to be decorating their offices no, then i don't want my area to be like bleh so i like to fit in i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of fitting in <laughs> at work and then i was also thinking about it and i was because at first they were like well it's a decorate your office competition all the salespeople have offices whatever right I'm like i don't have an office i have a desk so what am I supposed to do with that? And like, you know what I'm going to do with it? The whole freaking service drive is my office. So I decorated the whole service drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you go visit her at Subaru to get some of those, you know, things so you can participate in the best Christmas ever, you at least got to go look at the service center. Look how pretty it is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. How are you? I am pretty Good. Good. I am very excited because I discovered something good. Okay. It's like lactate, but for gluten. (laughs) That's amazing. I didn't know that exists. I didn't either. And I found it on Amazon and they overnighted it to me. And I'm not promoting the use of Amazon, but your girl is is balling on a budget. And (laughs) I needed it ASAP for Thanksgiving because I love stuffing bread. Great Harvest Bakery has the stuffing bread, and it is magical, and I was like, I want it. And it works. Nice. And so I got to do that, and then yesterday, on Saturday, I was down in Isanti visiting my mom mm-hmm. for Merry Thanksgiving. <laughs> because we're doing uh, all of like Steve's family for the actual Christmas stuff, so our Christmas was yesterday. Yeah. And yeah, it was fabulous. I got a bunch of food that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to eat, but now I can because of the magic of science. The magic of science will now let you drink beer again, too. I know. (laughs) I know. This is so glorious. I am very happy right now. (laughs) 
Um, and I know, though, we got some uh, some stuff to do, so let's uh, crack on into it with a joke, shall we? I got a couple jokes here. I pre-picked the card. Uh, what do vampires never order at a restaurant? Uh, garlic bread? You know, that would have been a good answer, too, but the correct answer is a steak sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I like the vampire ones. <laughs> uh, what do you call a goblin with a broken leg? Hobgoblin. Very close. A hoblin goblin. A hoblin goblin. <laughs> <laughs> you were very you were very on it this week with the jokes. Oh, thank yes, you. I know. Job. Well, that's probably all that gluten I was able to eat. <laughs> Maybe the lack of gluten is what makes me so bad at jokes. Well, just putting this out there, if you have a gluten intolerance or a gluten allergy, um, apparently, if you can find a way around that, you'll be funnier. It's, you know, I feel funnier. I look funnier. So <laughs> <laughs> I just need all the gluten. <laughs> all the gluten. All right. Are you ready for what I got for you this week? I am. I'm going to tell you today about the Excelsior House Hotel. In Jefferson, Texas. Mm, mm, mm. I love a good hotel story. And interesting, every time I tried to Google stuff on this house, I ke- it kept taking me to the Elms. Oh, you're like, I, no. Because I was Googling I've done that. the Excelsior House Hotel in, in Haunted. I'd put like Excelsior House Hotel Haunted yeah. in the Google thingy. And then it goes, did you mean the Elms in Excelsior Springs? And I'm like, no. No, I've already covered that one. No, we did that. Yeah. But I was like, man, I really need to find a good Mineral Springs location again. It's been a minute. I did actually look to see if I could find another uh, geyser-based hotel. (laughs) I think I did. But I didn't have time to do it. Okay, so you will have a a geyser-based hotel at some point. Potentially. 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 (laughs) Just what type of water-based haunted location would you like to cover this week? Mineral springs or geysers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the Excelsior House Hotel is the oldest hotel in East Texas. It might actually be the oldest hotel in all of Texas. I went into this deep dive of trying to find really old hotels to see if it is actually the oldest one. I had to do the never eat soggy Wheaties to determine which side of Texas that was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... I couldn't, I, and, and then I was going down a rabbit hole of trying to find old hotels. I was like, this is not actually applicable to the story. No, it's you a, just wanted a simple fun fact. It is a very old hotel. <laughs> and then it became a less than simple fun fact. <laughs> Located at 211 West Austin Street in the heart of downtown Jefferson, this historic hotel has been around since 1858. Um, it doesn't have a lot of like tragedy history that I could find. It's just a really old building that's been around for a really long time. Famous guests from both the 19th and 20th centuries that have stayed here include Ulysses S. Grant, Oscar Wilde, Rutherford B. Hayes, Lady Bird Johnson, Steven Spielberg, and more. Okay, okay. It's not a large hotel. Per their website, each of the 15 guest rooms feature lovely antiques and an old world charm. Each is also equipped with amenities like, you know, cable TV, Wi-Fi standard hotel guests so they're really going for like classic like you you feel like you're stepping back in time without having to give up the comfortable uh you know 
internet. The modern comforts that we yeah. are used to. Yeah, we can't. We don't go places without the internet anymore. The Grand Ballroom and the Fountain Courtyard uh, at the old hotel are favorite destinations for weddings, receptions, reunions, and romantic getaways. Mm. And business groups can enjoy meetings, retreats, and small conventions at the Excelsior House as well. So it functioned for a very long time, but then like the late 50s, you could really start to see its age. It, it, it was falling into disrepair. It wasn't being super well taken care of. And that's when it was about 100 years old, right? Yes. Okay. I mean, we all fall apart a little bit when you hit 100. <laughs> In 1961, this hotel was taken over and operated by the ladies of the Jesse Allen Wise Garden Club in association with the Excelsior Foundation. And the Excelsior Foundation is a nonprofit 501c3 organization that's dedicated to preserving historic properties, specifically in Jefferson. Okay. And the Jesse Allen Wise Garden Club is a volunteer organization that kind of fronts that. So they're big with, you know, maintaining old buildings. They have a few different ones in Jefferson that they that they help preserve. Nice, nice. Uh, and also they garden. Oh. When I was trying to find stuff on them, like, they just, like, were like, this person was awarded the, you know, Jesse Ellenwise Garden Club, blah, 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 blah. I was like, man, I didn't know garden clubs were still a thing, but apparently there's a lot of them. Yeah, I, I feel like it's not something that happens a lot in our area, and I think it's because so much of the year is under snow. Yeah, that's why I was literally, I thought, maybe I don't know enough about this, because mm-hmm. we get about four good months to garden. Yeah, yeah. I feel like <laughs> we have gardens. Uh, but I don't think there's many clubs. And we have local, like, community, community gardens. gardens. Yeah. That are pretty well maintained in their area, but mm-hmm. there's just no reason for a club here because you'd meet a quarter of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Jefferson, Texas, it turns out, is a haunted little city, according to the locals. And the Excelsior House Hotel is one of the reasons it's considered haunted. The historic Jefferson Ghost Walk, which includes a stop at the Excelsior, attracts enough visitors to run twice a week all year round. Oh, so okay. they got enough there. I looked it up. It's a, it's a small city. It's it's way smaller than Duluth. Okay. So now about that haunting. <laughs> yes, about that haunting. About that haunting. Uh, it turns out, like I said, I couldn't find any stories of tragedy that would explain what all is going on here but it has some pretty well-known and consistent ghostly activity and does it seem like it's more uh residual or or are they active or i guess you'll tell me active-ish you'll see oh okay so the most infamous story about uh jefferson and the one that helped me choose this location involves steven spielberg The story goes that this director was traveling across Texas. He was location scouting for his film, The Sugarland Express, which was in 1974. Mm. And he decided to stop at the Excelsior House Hotel. And it took only a few hours, less than a full night in room 215, before ghosts had him hightailing it 20 miles to the nearest Holiday Inn. Supposedly, the encounter inspired the movie Poltergeist. Oh, okay. We'll get more on that in a minute. Um, One ghost you may encounter is that of a headless man on the second floor. Uh, He's not completely headless because he has his head. He's just nearly headless. (laughs) That's what I thought, too, when I was like, 
nearly headless. How can someone be nearly headless? Oh. <laughs> but no, he it's it's off of his shoulders. He oh. just carries it around with him. Oh, like the uh the bride in my last story. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um guests might also encounter the ghost of a woman dressed all in black carrying her baby. Perhaps the most popular legend surrounding the Excelsior house is the perfume woman uh, known as Diamond Bessie. Let me guess. Smells like roses? They just said heavy perfume smell. They didn't say which specific kind. Okay. So this story is actually perpetuated by the community during the annual play of the Diamond Bessie murder trial, which is held every May during the Jefferson Historical Pilgrimage at the Playhouse which is also owned by the Garden Club. Oh, this, this Garden Club, man. They're, they they got, do a lot of things. They do a lot of things. According to lore, Diamond Bessie is the nickname given to Bessie Moore, a.k.a. Annie Stone, a young prostitute who was fatally shot and her body was left in the woods outside of Jefferson on Sunday, January 21st of 1877. Well, that's sad. One article said that she was killed by her husband, Abraham Rothschild, the son of one of the more prominent families in the day. Uh, a couple other articles said that he wasn't her husband, just a lover. A lover. Lava. All articles that mentioned her stated that she was likely killed in an attempt to steal the jewelry she was wearing. A.K.A. Diamond Bessie. That's why she's known as that. Apparently, she had a penchant for wearing a lot of diamonds to show off for wealth, including like a big necklace. But she was a sex worker? Prostitute is what it says, yeah. Okay. I mean, if you're good at it and you make that them bucks, yeah, you have regular clients who are willing to shell out a lot of money. Mm. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, Abe, whether spouse or lover or client or whatever, had lavished Bessie with jewelry throughout the throughout the years, but now okay. he wanted them back because he needed to pay off gambling debts. Oh, and she said no. Finders keepers. And he did not like that. Losers weepers. <laughs> One day they went out for a picnic and only Abe came back. You know, this is not the story that I was hoping for. When you mentioned that there was a trial and you mentioned that her name was like Diamond Bessie. Diamond Bessie? Yeah. I was really hoping that there was a jewelry heist. No, I was hoping that there was like a rich lady who wore diamonds and like fur coats and how she killed some man for nope for breaking her heart. Instead, it's it's this poor girl and no fucking nonsense. Some visitors at the Excelsior house have claimed to experience chance encounters with Diamond Bessie, who, as far as anyone knows, never actually stayed at the hotel. Numerous accounts have been related to the perfumed lady. Okay. Um, where visitors encounter an apparition that smells strongly of perfume. As one source states, it's easy to fancy that Diamond Bessie visited someone at the hotel and therefore her spirit may haunt the area as she was murdered by her husband out of greed for the many diamonds she wore. Mm. From what I gather, the reason they think that this is Diamond Bessie is because there may be similarities when she's seen. Oh, Like okay. when you see her apparition. And because I think the logic is, oh, she wore a lot of diamonds and jewelry, so she probably wore a lot of perfume, question mark. I can't find any solid reasoning other than that, but the perfume lady, from what I can gather, is Diamond they think Bessie. is Diamond Bessie. Okay. In 
An excellent stay with a ghost at the Excelsior House Hotel. Article writer Debbie Branning chatted with housekeepers only to learn that they believe three rooms in the hotel are haunted. In Banning's report, she states that a woman visiting from Shreveport was staying in the Rutherford B. Hayes room a few years back, and that woman claimed that although she was alone in the room in the four-poster bed, unseen hands tore away the covers from her body. Mm. No. Mm -mm. Don't want to. Morgan Kinney wrote an article for Houstonia, which I think is a newspaper, Mm -hmm. Um, where they and their friends took the historic Jefferson Ghost Walk that I mentioned that stops at the Excelsior. And when they checked in at the Excelsior house, their very nice check-in lady told them the Spielberg stories were just that, stories. But their tour guide, Jody Breckenridge, said that she had the real tea. Of course. Spill that tea, girl. (laughs) She took them to several different locations and, quote, We perked up as the tour moved down the block towards the Excelsior. Anyone staying here tonight? Jody asked, and we raised our hands. She explained that she devised an unscientific scale for rating a location's hauntedness. So it sounds like this tour guide has her very own skeptic scale. Ooh, (laughs) girl after her own heart. (laughs) And she said that we were in luck. Our lodgings ranked an outrageous 15 out of 10. Whoa. (laughs) She's she's convinced. (laughs) Jody launched into the story, explaining to the crowd how Spielberg had arrived in Jefferson late one Monday evening, set his luggage down in the room's rocking chair, only to have the chair throw the suitcase back at him. Mm-mm. And she asked, is the rocking chair still there? In an ominous tone. And it turns out that, yes, it is still there. It is the room that uh, Morgan Kinney and her friends were staying in. <gasps> but they went on the tour before they stayed there. They went on the tour when they got in. Like, they're they're checked into the hotel. They'd been to the hotel room. Oh, okay. So she explained the rest of the Spielberg story, and the local legend goes that in the wee hours after Spielberg had gone to bed, he was awakened by a little boy in an old-fashioned-style clothes asking if he was ready for breakfast. So nothing, like, threatening. He was just like, a little old boy was like, Are you ready for breakfast, sir? Is it time for breakfast? I like how we made him British, even though it's Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Please, sir, can I have some more? This is not Oliver Twist. (laughs) Would you like some porridge? So that's supposedly like the last straw for Spielberg and when he decided to check out. Hearing this, Morgan Kinney's friend started to freak out and he said... That's our bed next to the rocking chair. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So this isn't all just hearsay, though. I mean, it's a local legend. I'm sure it gets embellished. But there's some backing. Spielberg had told columnist John Anders of the Dallas Morning News, quote, We dragged ourselves upstairs after a rough day. I swear my room was haunted. I made everyone wake up, pack up, and get back into the cars at about 2 o'clock in the morning. We had to drive 20 miles to the nearest Holiday Inn, and everybody was hot at me. I should add that I am not normally superstitious, unquote. And so they were staying in the gold room, and that's where all this activity happened. Oh, fun. And that just tells the Spielberg story, but what of other people's encounters? Not the, I know a friend of a friend of a friend who said that he said that she said all of this style of stories. Turns out there's no shortage of those either. A lot of comments that weren't worth, like, there wasn't enough to list 
whole all individually, but there were a yeah. lot of comments of people having experiences at this hotel. Okay. Uh, guests have claimed that they could see the form of a soldier taking place in the oval mirror that sits in the corner of one of the rooms. Others have said they heard closet door handles rattling, keeping them up all night. Some have said that the bathroom door will swing open when it would remain untouched. And some have claimed to have phantom smells like perfume, like that of Bessie, or cigar smoke. Uh, you know, I thought you were going to go a different direction because you led from the bathroom door opening its on its own. To phantom to smells. To phantom smells. And I was like, oh. Ooh, that's unfortunate. That's not great. That's just bad plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, an old, it's an old building. It's a very, very old building. Retired newsman Dave Adams wrote to columnist Ken Biffle of the Dallas Morning News telling him of a wild night he and his wife Carol spent in the gold room uh, in 1995. Mr. Adams joked, like, any ghosts? Because he was like, I think he was trying to make a joke of it. Mm -hmm. And the clerk who was checking him in said, no ghosts. And Dave Adams wrote, after soaking up some history, Carol and I went upstairs. As I unlocked the tall door, for some unexplainable reason, a tune started running through my head. The Gold and Silver Waltz by Franz Lehar. Okay. Inside, the room had two double beds with big wooden headboards and antique chairs, one of them a rocker. And the bathroom had an old claw-footed tub. We sat on the pleasant veranda, which overlooks a brick courtyard. In its center is a huge iron fountain. And we had a fabulous dinner a couple of doors down from the hotel at the galley restaurant. Side note, apparently the galley restaurant's building is also haunted. Oh. Jefferson, like I said, haunted little town. All right, all right. After the delicious dinner, they fell asleep in bed watching TV. And Adams recalled, I awoke because I had to go to the bathroom. I turned the TV off and shuffled sleepily into the room, and I noticed that the door was starting to open slowly. I shut it and latched it firmly. Later, when I returned to the door, I found I couldn't turn the knob. Something or someone was apparently gripping the doorknob on the other side tightly. I said, come on, Carol, very funny. And the pressure let up, and the knob turned easily. Okay. I flicked off the light as I opened the door. Across the room, standing beside the bed, was the figure of a woman dressed all in black with a black veil. For one split second, I thought it was Carol, but she was in bed wearing a white nightie. Oh, no. And then the apparition vanished. Oh, no. There's this veiled woman just, like, lurking, lurking over your wife? Lurking over your wife that wasn't going to let you out of the bathroom for some reason? Oh, I don't like that. I became aware of the scent of perfume in the room. I stood for a moment, slightly shaken, but then got into bed and lay there wondering. I thought of waking Carol, but thought better of it. She would be frightened and want to leave. I drifted off to sleep, but I awoke to the odor of cigar smoke, and I heard what sounded like somebody rifling through newspaper pages. I sat up but didn't see anything, and the sound stopped. Next came a knocking sound from the headboard near my head, and then I heard fingernails being dragged across the headboard right above my head. Mm -mm. My hand touched Carol, sound asleep. Lucky her. At about 4 a.m., she woke up and asked if I was having trouble sleeping. I did go back to sleep, and I had a vivid dream. A woman in black, seated at a grand piano, was playing the gold and silver waltz. Returning from dinner, we'd peeked into the huge parlor of the main lobby, and I had noticed a big black grand piano. I was again awakened to noises in the bathroom. I even heard the toilet flush. 
I reached over. Carol was still beside me. The knocking resumed, this time quite persistent. I really thought I was beginning to lose my marbles. I drifted off to sleep again, and I awoke to bright sunshine streaming through all the windows. I went into the bathroom, looked at myself in the mirror, and thought, nah, it couldn't have happened. And then Adams told his wife of, you know, like all the unbelievable adventures that he experienced. And she did not recall hearing or smelling anything. So she slept through all of that. Slept through everything. See, I would definitely be the person who would be awake and just experiencing all of this. But I definitely would have woken up Steve. I would have been like, if I'm going through this, you're going through this with me. (laughs) That's what marriage is. (laughs) Haunting together. Obviously. When you visit, uh, you can just refrain from asking about the haunting to the hotel employees. If you have not picked up from these stories I was sharing. Yeah, they keep saying, they're going to say no. They deny the Spielberg thing and he admitted it. Right. Like they're like, oh, that's just stories. The Jesse Allen Wise Garden Club, which restored the Excelsior between 1961 and 1963, would prefer you not ask any questions about the haunting. Uh, writer Sally Ann Lewis of Sweet101.com said they feel it lowers the tone. I'm like, you are in a very haunted city. Like, <sighs> hey, fucking lean into it. Right. Lean, like, go with it. You can still have a gorgeous experience and, you know, just also appeal to your haunted people. Also, how stuck up does it lowers the tone? Well, I mean, it is a garden club. Maybe I mean, they're stuck up. Yeah. Or maybe they're just really nice, but also, like, they just think paranormal stuff is, it's just not, it's just not the classiness we're looking for. Either way, from everything I can gather, the Excelsior House Hotel is a wonderful, historic, and beautiful building with amazing staff. Every review said it was great. Amazing staff. Love it. Love it. They will provide you with a stay that you'll love, and ghost stories that you might come home with are simply just a bonus. I love it. So that is the story of the Excelsior House Hotel in Jefferson, Texas. Awesome. Awesome. Which is not the Excelsior <laughs> Mineral Spring. Not Excelsior Springs. Yes. In Missouri. Right. The Excelsior House Hotel in Texas. On a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it a three. 2.5. I'm going to give it a 2.5. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 4. Okay. And that is because the Steven Spielberg story sold me. Oh, okay. I'm going back to my original 3. Just like like what reason would he have for admitting that? Right. And right. he hasn't the he he isn't the one who said that it inspired Poltergeist, from what I can tell. I think everybody just assumes, assumes that. Because based on timeline. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I was like, because none of that sounds like anything that happened in Poltergeist. Right. I think it was just like, oh, he didn't do a lot of scary movies. And then all of a sudden, ooh, look at this scary movie. Right after he had this scary experience. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, how that goes. Yeah, obviously, that's, isn't that the general timeline for all of those? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> what do you got for me this week? Uh, today I'm going to tell you about Wells College. So Wells College is a private liberal arts college in Aurora, New York. I'm trying to think, have I have I heard of this? I don't think I've heard of this. Yeah, I don't know. There's one single story that sounds familiar to me, but none of the other ones. We've definitely not covered it. Um, 
I, I double checked. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was established as an all women's college in 1868 by Henry Wells, as in the co-founder of both the Wells Fargo as well as the American Express Company. Oh, okay. Originally called the Wells Semi- Seminary. I almost said cemetery. And I was like, that's Very not different. what we're going Two for. different vibes. Two different vibes. Originally called the Wells Seminary, Henry Wells referred to the institution as the dream of a lifetime and a means to accomplish his goals of promoting, quote, a higher standard of moral and intellectual culture that has not yet been obtained by the ordinary village and town institutions, unquote, which was more commonly available to women at the time. He wanted his, his women... To be smarter before he, they became housewives and mothers is actually part of what was said in the, in it, the it things. Ma- it's giving me a Mona Lisa smile vibes. 100%. Yes. Because isn't that Mona also Li- yeah. like in that same area? Yeah. Too? I think so. Yeah. I haven't seen that in years. Uh, where they were like, yeah, no, we're sending all these women to college. But also sometimes they get married and we just like let them pass classes because they are getting smarter, but they're still got to, you know, they got to keep a home. Right. Right. It's really just there for their own self-confidence. <laughs> That's how we keep them from being rebels. We give them the education, then we send them back home. <laughs> the land that the Wells Seminary was located on was a donated piece of Henry Wells' own property, which sat across from his still-standing villa called Glen Park. In August of 1888, the college's main building burnt to the ground. And the building's replacement, which was opened two years later, remains the college's main building and is now known as the Facilities Services Building. In its early years, Wells College offered a variety of courses, including instruction in language, music, history, mathematics, and science. However, according to the college's website, quote, the original goal, to educate women who would further society's intellectual culture as wives and mothers, evolved as the campus grew. Over the coming years, more students uh, were being recruited, bringing enrollment up from only 34 students to 170 in the college's first decade. And with an increase in enrollment came an increase in structures needed to house and educate its students, including Henry Wells' villa, Glen Park, which was purchased by the Alumni Association in 1906 for the college's own use. The Barler Music Hall, the Campbell Art Building, and the Lewis Jefferson Long Library, whose award-winning design was created by Walter Netsch, who would go on to design many other famous buildings. There's a lot of buildings on this campus. That's the whole point of that. I just decided to name some to make it a little bit There's a lot of buildings. Information. They're very fancy. They increased their uh, enrollment by a lot. Yeah. Like, it's a big growth in a decade. Exactly. Yep. So throughout its history, Wells College has overcome many challenges, such as surviving an influenza epidemic, a devastating economic depression, and two world wars. It has grown from a small seminary to a nationally recognized institution of higher learning, with generations of graduates continuing on into careers of academia, medicine, politics, and the performing arts. With, according to their website, many incredibly successful, some famous, and a few infamous alumnae and alumni, alumnae being the plural version of alumna, or female graduates or former students. 
The alumni is included because in October of 2004, Wells College announced that, quote, after 136 years of leadership in women's education, the college opened its doors to students of all genders. Okay. Quote. And although many of the students protested the change, as well as the students' parents, it ultimately had been approved by its board and the Wells College became co-ed in 2005. Wow. That took a while. It took a while. From its early beginnings in 1880-something. I had no idea there were so many different versions of alumni, alumni, alumni. You know, I'm just going to say alum. That is why I put the little definition because I was like, oh, I guess I kind of remember there being like a, a female-only version and then there would be the plural of it. But Yep. Nope. I'm just going to go, I'm an that. alum. Alum. I'm so, a Lake Superior College alum. <laughs> Um, but Wells College is not only known for now being co-ed, it's also pretty well established as a place where both the living and dead coexist. And you know what? They are all about it. Nice. So most of these stories actually come directly from the website, which says that these stories have been passed down orally from class to class and are therefore constantly changing as each storyteller includes their own Unique elements and changes to suit different styles. You want to give it a spin. You want to make it your own. Exactly. So at some point in the early 1900s, nope. (laughs) So at some point in the early 1990s, several of these traditional stories were actually written down. And then the archives obtained copies of the stories. So all these female classmates wrote down all these stories that have been passed down from generation to generation. And they archived them. And then the archives were put on the website. Very cool. That's what I thought. <laughs> and the first story that I have for you is that of Max, the security guard. All right. Many years ago, there was a fire in what is now known as Morgan Hall, which, by the way, is the Book Arts Center. So people, who, because it's a liberal arts college, this is where students learn about the traditions and skills of book art, such as the letterpress printing hand book binding, paper making, and the history of the book. I would love to do book binding. How cool is that? It's just so intensive and I, I don't need another craft. But I've seen so many different uh, like videos online I on know. like YouTube and stuff of people making their own covers for their favorite books so that it's more aesthetically pleasing. And I'm like, dude, that's so cool. So Imagine cool. if I could make all my books look the same so that it, like, a shelf just is filled with tomes, but it's all just my smut. Oh, that would be perfect. Could I make my smutty books look like really classy tomes? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, if- what is this? Is this a history book? Oh, no, it's just a high fae romance. <laughs> <laughs> Bound in classic leather. (laughs) So anyway, uh, (laughs) Morgan Hall (laughs) seems like a cool place. Yep. Love what they do there. Prior to Morgan Hall being there, though, uh, with all these cool book classes, there was another building that was in that same spot that had caught on fire. And so the security guard on duty, Max, was attempting to get everyone out of the building. And apparently he was even like pushing some of the students down the stairs in order to get them out of the fire's path. Okay. All of the students made it out. 
They were fine, even though he pushed them down the stairs. (laughs) Uh, But poor Max did not make it. Oh. To this day, students in Morgan Hall will sometimes feel a push from behind when descending the stairs, which sounds just awful. I fall down the stairs enough. Uh, as is. And and people believe that this is the ghost of Max trying to save their lives from a fire that took his own life decades before. Well, Max, good on you. Thank you for trying to save these people. Though you maybe don't have to be so aggressive about it. <laughs> but Max isn't always just pushing people around. As the story goes, one student in her first year as a political science major was studying in the Morgan Hall Library one night. By the time she was done, it was very late, so she called for security to come and escort her back to her dorm. Within moments of the call, she saw a security guard approaching her. That was fast, she said, having just gotten off the phone with them. But instead of acknowledging his speediness, the security guard just walked right up to and then through her. Yeah. After which he just disappeared. I mean... I'm sure I knew they know the other security guard was on their way, but all I can think is like, Max, you're so worried about people. Why would you walk through and disappear like you were supposed to escort her? Escort her. Um, to no one's surprise, this student then refused to set foot in Morgan Hall ever again. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't. Uh, I'm not surprised by that at all. The next story is like straight out of a Halloween movie. It's like a, it's a. am just going to keep saying this phrase. A tale as old as time. <laughs> True as it can be. Both a little scared because there's ghosts. Yeah. (laughs) Neither one prepared for the ghosts. Beauty and the ghosts. (laughs) So years ago, there was a Wells College student who was extremely bright and motivated, who was known to diligently work throughout the night in the Zabriskie Hall on her scientific research. And I like... That it sounds like a story told by someone who doesn't really know much about science. It's like, (laughs) oh, you know, she did scientific research and stuff. That's why she was there working on (laughs) science research. Science and and stuff. She was real smart about science and stuff. Well, she had this one professor who seemed really encouraging of her work and paid a lot of attention to it. And at first, the young woman was like, awesome. Teacher's favorite. Until... She found out that that professor was actually stealing her work and passing it as her own. Oh, bold move for a professor to plagiarize their students' work. I mean, who are you going to believe, though? That's what I'm saying. Like, I know, I know. So one night while working in Zabrinsky Hall, the professor came in asking about her updates and how things were going. But she now knew what he was doing, so she confronted him about stealing her research. And when she did this, the professor, quote unquote, panicked and stabbed her to death. Oh, my God. Leaving the knife embedded in her lifeless body. Okay, people of higher learning and higher education. Um, just, I got to know, is this common? Is, is murdering Stabbing for, your students? Is, is murdering for the sake of publishing a, like a paper, is that common? I need I need feedback here because that seems extreme. You know, I've seen a lot of crime shows and people kill for a lot less, I suppose. Uh, to this day, now and then, students working late at night in the Zabriskie Hall will report being approached by a female student who asks them, 
would you please pull this knife out of my back? And for those who do, she will then take the knife and try and stab them with it. Oh, my God. Out of a Halloween movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you you think you're trying to help her out. It's it's kind of like a, what Samara in the ring. Like, you think that releasing her will help her, but no. no. That's, not, that's not good. <laughs> Don't do it. Uh, spoiler alert. Retroactively. <laughs> From the ring. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert for the ring. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, sorry. It's your own fault. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Okay, so back in the day, a building called the Pettibone House, which is located on the southern edge of campus, was used for specifically senior dorms. Apparently, all of the rooms were connected, and it was supposed to be a way of like bringing together the senior class before their final year or during their final year. Well, at one point, there were three of the bestest of besties living in the Pettibone House during their senior year. Two of them, we're going to call them, we're making up names for them. Two of them, Erica and Jess, had just returned to the dorms after spring break and were unpacking when the last of their trio, Kelly, got back to the dorms as well. The three were chatting for a while when Erica and Jess got the feeling that something was troubling Kelly. So they asked her what was wrong and Kelly told them that she was just really worried that after graduation, the three of them would lose touch with each other. Mm-hmm. Sad. Sad. Common, and common yeah. fear. A regular worry and not an outlandish worry. No, no. Totally reasonable. Well, Erica and Jess said that this was just silly, okay? Because the second F in BFF stands for forever. (laughs) They all hugged. And then Kelly seemed like she was feeling better about the whole thing. And they all lived happily ever after and nothing bad happened. And they stayed best friends until they were like 90. If only, Kayla. If only. I was trying to cut off the story here. We're making a happy ending. The F stands for forever. Forever in death. So Kelly started to feel better and she's like, I'm going to go check in on their friend Megan since she had also just gotten back as well. And after a couple of hours, though, Kelly didn't come back and Erica and Jess went to go look for her. They found Megan. They're like, hey, Where's Kelly? And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, I haven't seen Kelly since before spring break. And then a little while after that, all three of the girls, Erica, Jess, and Megan, were called into the dean's office because they were known to be some of Kelly's best friends. And the dean was regretful to inform them that Kelly had actually been killed in a car accident on her way back to Wells College. And she never made it back to school. Oh. I know. That one's sad. Also straight out of a horror movie. I know. I mean, she was so scared that they were going to lose touch after graduation. And she just stayed. And then she hugged her friends. And she said goodbye. And just all this stuff. And it's so sad. <sighs> um, moving on. <laughs> uh, in the early days of the college, it is said that its founder, Henry Wells, was having an affair with a young woman living on campus in the Pettibone House. Now, when I first heard that the campus was directly across the street from his own house, I was like, mm, suspicious vibes. And then I read this and I was like, mm, I knew it. <laughs> so they boned at Pettibone? Ah, <laughs> so petty, Kayla. <laughs> Uh, Some folks thought that it was Mrs. Pettibone herself. Apparently, that was an actual woman. 
I didn't find anything about who she was, but some people thought that it was her, while others claimed that it was a secretary who was boarding there. I love a good last name. I want a last name like Pettibone. I mean, I chose my own last name. That's and only because am- you didn't know that Pettibone existed. <laughs> You're like, I don't have a Pettibone in my body. Just kidding. I'm full of nothing but petty bones. God damn it. That's so good. (laughs) Uh, Either way, whether or not it was Mrs. Pettybone herself or the secretary, at some point, Mrs. Wells found out that her husband was a philandering piece of trash. And instead of realizing that her husband was really the problem, she set out to take her revenge on the woman. So one dark night, Mrs. Wells snuck out of Glen Park crossed the bridge to the campus, and made her way to Pettibone House. When she got there, she sought out her husband's mistress, and when she found her, she stabbed her to death with the knife that she had brought with her. So, Mrs. Wells definitely had a Pettibone in her body. So many. Well, no, I don't even think that's petty. I just really think that she should have went after her, like, her husband, cheating husband yes. rather than this woman. Yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. And as the legend goes, if you find yourself on the bridge that leads from Glen Park Villa to the campus and one of the lights goes off along the way, don't look back. (gasps) Because if you do, you might find yourself face to face with Mrs. Wells. Her eyes full of fury, seeking the young woman with whom her husband had betrayed her. And she just might make you her next victim. I love that story. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't, but I do. Like, I know that's I, the type of story. Like, if you, if you went to this college, you would be like, "Oh my God, let me tell you about this urban legend." Let me spill the tea about the famous Mrs. Wells because I like that a lot. Another story involving Mrs. Wells on the bridge. So, if the lights don't go out and she's not waiting in the dark to stab you, you will sometimes see her on the widow's walk of Glen Park. So from the bridge, late at night, students have reported seeing the shadowy figure of a woman in the tower at the top of Glen Park. Many people believe that this is the ghost of Mrs. Wells waiting for her husband to return. Oh, sad. Because, you know, being the co-founder of Wells Fargo and American Express Company, I'm guessing he was gone a lot. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. Yeah. The Wells Fargo name is known for travel, specifically. (laughs) That's why it's a carriage. Uh, But there are other people who don't think that this is Mrs. Wells, but rather a nurse who worked on the property who is waiting for her betrothed to return home from war. Okay. I don't know where this came from, but it does feel at least a little bit more romantic. True. Than the philandering husband thing. Very true. So, uh, yeah. Don't hate that. (laughs) Uh, My next couple of stories are all about the main building. Okay. Okay. So the first one goes that during one particularly hard, snowy, cold, and harsh winter, the Wells College campus was hit with an epidemic of influenza. And because so many students had fallen ill and the weather was so terrible that relocation wasn't really possible, a small temporary hospital was set up on the fourth floor of the main building. Six students were quarantined here and a number of nurses stayed along with them, doing everything that they could to keep their suffering at a minimum. However, though, not everyone made it through. And being the dead of winter with hindered travel to the outside world, the college needed a place to hold the bodies until they could be returned to their families. Their solution? 
a temporary morgue located on the same floor. Ooh. To ensure p- that folks wouldn't just walk into this room. <laughs> Could you imagine? Throughout the winter. <laughs> uh, they painted the door red as like a kind of like keep out warning. Are you kidding me? If I'm in a if I am in a building and there's all these doors and one of them's red, that's the first one I'm going to. I know, right? You know, on houses, it's supposed to mean welcoming. <laughs> After the epidemic had subsided and the main building was transformed back into normal dormitories, the red door was painted over. However, legend has it that within a few weeks, the red began to seep through the overlay paint. Thought to be a testimonial to the young women who had lost their lives to sickness and then remained in this room long past their time. Oof. In the years since, the main building has been completely redone, and the location of the red door and the room that held so much death has become the subject of much speculation. And many brave first years have been known to wander the fourth floor, searching for signs of the red paint. So what you'll find out is that the main building was really just, it was gutted and well, revamped. I was, like, I was like, I don't know why they would be searching for the red paint. If anything, I'd be searching for like signs of a morgue. <laughs> but it was just a dorm room turned into a morgue. Yeah, I suppose. And then they revamped it. Um, another allegedly haunted room in the main building is room 220. So back in the day, this was once a triple dorm room. Now it's where RAs live. Lucky them. And although it's one of the most beautiful rooms in the main, boasting its own fireplace, many students refused to live there. Because when it was still a triple, something terrible happened to a young woman who was living there. Now, the website. And this is kind of what I was thinking sounded familiar. I think it just happened in a different college. Okay. The website claimed that she was really into the occult. But like... Then said nothing else about the occult afterwards. It's like so, satanic panicky. Like, yeah. So I took that part out, even though I'm saying it now. But yeah. Um, like it's no relevance to the story. They just no. were like, just so you know, she liked the devil. Yeah. Yeah. So the main part of the story is that she was said to have been suffering from extreme depression. And although her friends had tried to get her to seek help to talk to someone about it, she just seemed to get worse and worse. She wasn't capable of reaching out at that particular point in time. And then one day her friends were going shopping off campus. And although they tried to get her to go with them, she just couldn't. Mm -hmm. And in the end, they left without her. When they returned, they were told that their friend had unalived herself. And to this day, although the main building has been renovated, it is said that if anyone in room 220 looks into the mirror over the mantelpiece at just the right angle, they can see her ghost sitting near the corner. And although there have only been a couple of folks who have claimed to see her, many people have reported that the room is often full of unexplained cold spots. I'm just going to say it. Dorm rooms in general suck. So if you have the opportunity... To stay in a dorm room with a functioning fireplace? Worth I don't, it. I don't. I, the ghosts are totally worth the, the fireplace. Although it also has extra cold spots. So you just move. So move like, over three feet. Well, <laughs> Sit closer to your beautiful fire. <laughs> you make a really good point there. Okay. And then there is room 305. We're also still in the main. 
So during the college's early years, there was a cholera epidemic on the campus. And once again, one of the rooms was converted into an infirmary. This was once room 305, which looked out over Morgan Hall, though during the 1983 renovations, it was split into two separate rooms. So as the story goes, one young woman confined there with cholera, uh, despite the quarantines, was visited regularly by her fiancé. Oh, I'd like to say that that's cute, but that's how you spread diseases. Well, since he couldn't enter the room and she couldn't go out of the room, he would climb to the top of like the Morgan Hall and wave to her in the window. Oh, so it was like social distancing fiancé love. Yeah, it's so cute. That's adorable. And he was there in Morgan the night that the main caught fire. Oh. And from his window... He watched his beloved go up in flames. Oh, that's not that's not cute. That's not adorable. That's really sad. Yeah, it was really cute for a little bit. I, that's what I like to do. I like to build you up and then knock you down. Gee, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, many people have lived in those rooms in the main, and although none of them have reported specifically seeing the ghost of a girl waving at the window... Many have complained of a wide variety of strange happenings, such as unexplained knockings and other noises, feeling uneasy, small objects being moved about when no one else is in the room, etc. But once again, prior to the renovation, room 305 was a triple, and three students living there in the mid-1980s experienced several of these odd phenomena and took to talking to the ghost with which they shared their room each night before going to bed. Oh, just trying to give pleasant company. Yeah, like they're like, oh, well, we heard a girl died here. Uh, let's just well, hey, to her. Hey, girl, uh, you've been gone for a while. Uh, you might be bored. Let's chat. Yeah, yeah. Every night they did that. And then one night, they forgot. Ooh. Yep. One of them had fallen asleep on the couch, and in the morning when she woke up, the folds of her clothes had left marks on her skin, which is not unusual but what was unusual is that the marks seemed to take the shape of words oh no and while no one could fully make out what the words said they were pretty freaked out about the whole thing because they definitely looked like someone was spelling things out on her skin with like fold marks oh my god okay okay that's like a new form of haunting i've Uh, never heard i've never heard of that and i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and say it this is why you don't ghost to ghost for real. Don't ghost a ghost because that's never going to end well for you. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So they went to the dean of students and they requested a room change, which they said was really unusual in those days. Like it, it wasn't something that they usually granted, but it sounds like maybe they were not the first ones to have issues in this room and they were granted the ability to move out of this room into someplace else. That's difficult. I mean, I don't know if it was back then. But I know from when I went to college, like requesting a room change had to be a pretty big deal because the rooms are full. Right. Where are they you, have, move you have you? to switch with someone else and you got to get permission and like, where is it going to go? And this was a triple. Yeah. So they had to replace three people. Uh, just start talking to her again. Right. Communicate. Any issue with bad roommates can usually be resolved with communication. I'm saying. I'm Not saying. all the time, but usually. And finally, I have for you. The mad typist. <laughs> okay, I'm sure. I'm, 
I'm sure it's going to be a great story, but that what a title, man. <laughs> the Mad Typist. So Exactly. I type 500 words per minute. <laughs> so before they graduate, well, seniors are required to write a thesis that incorporates all of the knowledge that they have gained in their college studies. Years ago, a senior had a particularly difficult time with her thesis. She just couldn't seem to get it finished. And I feel that so hard. Uh, as the deadline approached, she stayed up later and later, edging towards a nervous breakdown, frantically typing it out. So many, so many college seniors I know feel that. Right. And this is back in the day when it was like a typewriter. Yeah. yeah. So if you messed up, you had to do the whole fucking page over again. And I don't care what anybody says. That... Like the whiteout part of the typewriter, like on the on the newerish typewriters that yeah. had a whiteout strip, it didn't get rid of it. And if you didn't want to get marks for neatness right. taken off, you had to go and retype that entire freaking page. And you know, if you're already really anxious and typing and typing and typing, you're more likely to make mistakes. Yep. Oh, sucks. So everyone in her dorm listened to her clack, 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 clack into the deepest hours of the night. And she soon earned the nickname the Mad Typist. One night, her friends, alarmed by her mental deterioration, deterioration, <laughs> deterioration. Yes, there's no good way to say that word. Mental I'm, decline. Okay. <laughs> Convinced her to take a break, <laughs> like accompany them to a restaurant in Aurora. And she went reluctantly, but after an evening of fun, the mad typist began to relax. Her friends were so relieved to see her old personality returning. And they left the restaurant and they began the long, dark walk back to campus. Now, they didn't go over the bridge. She wasn't murdered by Mrs. Wells with a knife. Though tragedy did strike when a vehicle, some say it's a wagon, some say it's a car. It's like no one really knows what time period this happened in. Mm -hmm. Careened off Main Street onto the sidewalk, killing only the mad typist. What if it was a station wagon? Maybe, yes, maybe that was it. There you go. That So I think because this college goes back to the 1800s, they're yeah. like, but when? <laughs> she died instantly and was mourned by the Wells community as a whole. Aww. Students still awaken in the dead hours to the distant clack, 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 clack. Today in the south wing of Dodge, where the mad typist lives, Many students who develop writer's block in the middle of the night swear they have felt someone looking over their shoulder, wondering about their progress. Oh, she's checking in on them. Yeah. She's like, Do you, you should go to a restaurant with your friends. It really helped me. It really helped me until the whole death thing. thing. But that had nothing to do with the other thing. That was just unfortunate. Wow. And that is the story of Will's College in Aurora, New York. I liked that a lot. Thank you. It was giving me urban legends vibe. Right. Like, because that took place, a lot of that was at a college. Yes. So, yes. like, it, it's a lot of stories for one spot. Especially, I mean, I know it's larger now, but something that started so small. Started so small. I just really like that all those stories were from the website. Yeah, they embrace, they're embracing this. There were a couple more, but um, they seem to surround itself about, like, buildings being built on top of indigenous burial grounds oh, and yep 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 yeah we're I, trying not to promote harmful stereotypes uh so yeah that yeah yeah i think that on a skeptic scale 
I'm going to give this a three. Okay. Middle of the road because I want to believe, and it is a very old building. Like, mine was a very old building. Like, Mm -hmm. it makes sense that it would be haunted. There was the fires and tragedy there, but... But it does give very urban legendy feel. I so agree. it's hard for me to give it a super high rating just I because agree. like how much has changed throughout the constant retellings. Well, we actually don't know how much has changed throughout the constant retellings. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So we don't know. So I'm gonna go middle ground. I'm going three. You know, I think I'm gonna go three as well. I I agree. They do sound very urban legendy, and it could be like it doesn't mean that it's not real. Mm-hmm. Plus, all of these stories are from the 1990s. So they, they're not based upon people who have done investigations and stuff like that. Yeah. That's really more of a popular nowadays thing rather than something that people did in the 90s really so much. So, yeah, I mean, even the stories we've covered where there were paranormal investigations back then. Mm-hmm. Every, I feel like every story we've covered from that is like a small group of people that getting called to like a family home. Right. For something. Not so much paranormal investigations of large buildings like this. Right. Yep. Exactly. Wow. I like that one so much. Thank you. I, well, I, I was about to say, like, I wish that some of the ghost hunting shows that we like would visit, but it is a functional college. Yeah, you so know, people, <laughs> like, live there or whatever. People Ooh. live in the dorms. People, you know, have papers to finish. Typing or, out madly. Or not finish in some cases. <laughs> You know. Yeah. Yeah. No listener stories this week. Okay. Guys. If you have a listener story, we'd love to hear it. Also, we are one month away from true crime January. Oh my gosh, we are. So for those of you who are newer and haven't experienced a true crime January yet, that is the one month out of the year that I give Brittany the blessing to delve into her love of true crime. I love it so much. Uh, And what we do is we try to pick a location that is haunted as well as has a true crime background. Yep. And she covers the true crime and I cover the haunting. If you have a location that you know of that you're like, oh, why haven't you covered this? Please send us that. Or send us your paranormal stories or anything. We love communication. We love it when y'all message us. Yeah, we do. We really do. (laughs) It gives us such a happy. We're like, oh, did you see the message? Oh, we love it so much. So much. You can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab at the top of the page. You can get there also by clicking the link tree in our bio, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, we want to thank y'all for joining us yet again. Yeah. We, we, we love you and we appreciate you. Oh, my God. So much. So much. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, geez. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye, like guys. Let's go have some hot dish now. I like that we mutually, just like without saying it, agreed that we're like, oh, we better. Uh, okay, bye this. Okay, we better. Okay, bye this. <laughs>Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, 
Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! Thank you.